Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien and now Nicole Braddock Bromley. Well, we are very excited to be back with you. I hope everyone has gotten off to a good school year. Um, You're surviving the heat. You're surviving whatever life's been throwing at you. Um, Just always glad to be back in community. I'm back here with Mary. Glad to be here. It feels like it's been a long time, but a lot of life can happen in a really small amount of time. This is true. This is true. Well, I love this community so much, and it's just such an honor to be able to share some other amazing survivors with you, people who are doing really good work in the world as far as healing goes and um, just sharing their stories in a really brave way. And today we have someone really special with us, this Liz Kinchin. Welcome to the One Voice Podcast, Liz. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, Liz, you wrote a book, a memoir called Light in Bandaged Places. And you retell the story of being a teen sexually abused by a teacher. Um, Your story is one of healing, of meditation, of repairing the inner child. I was so captivated by this memoir. You did such an incredible job of writing, especially about the grooming process that happens so often, unfortunately, um, you know, just our last podcast, we had um, a young lady on who was sexually abused by her high school basketball coach. And, you know, you did a great job of talking about your story in a way that was like, oh yeah, I understand why she thought that way. Like no one knew really what was going on, not even you and you're living it. And I thought you did a great job of conveying all the information and the feelings without it being graphic. Um, And I want to dive into a little bit of that, but I first want to say to you and to all of our listeners, your book was probably, I, I can't even tell you the last time I've cried reading a book. I cried. There were three really powerful moments for me in your story. Um, It was very emotional, just relating to the way that you were writing and the way that abuse came into your life was very relatable for me. Also, the way you thought about your abuse at different ages. And that's something I'm really excited to kind of hear from you directly today. Um, And the effects that it has, you know, in our adulthood, our relationships, um, how you found healing even through like your motherhood. Um, Those were just such really important parts um, to your story. But let's start, if you don't mind, to just look at the times um, that you talked about, you know, the amount of time it took to identify your relationship with your teacher as sexual abuse. Decades. It took decades, right? It took decades. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Because at the time... Uh, you know, I met my teacher when I was 14 um, and, you know, he he began sort of treating me in a special way, right? I felt like his favorite in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was gradual. Uh, he, he earned my trust. Um, I had a childhood where um, I didn't have a lot of strong connection with my family members. My parents were kind, loving people, but they weren't really focused on me that much. Mm -hmm. I was fourth of five children. um, And I think they just left the raising of me to to God, to someone else. Um, There just wasn't a lot of emotional attachment and connection. So when I got to middle school and this teacher paid a lot of attention to me and asked me what books I was reading, which nobody in my family ever did, you know, Mm -hmm. for example, um, Mm -hmm. I felt, wow, okay, this person sees me. Yeah. This person wants to be with me. This person wants to know all these things about me. And, uh, I just, it meant so much to me. I was like a little sponge. Mm. and uh, just absorbed that attention. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that it took so long to identify it 
as abuse because, you know, you, I understand you, you're looking at it through a lens of like, this feels good. I feel special. I'm getting the attention that I never got. You're walking through that whole relationship. It goes on for years and it's so hard to label it because I think if you're like me, you feel like, well, I was engaged in it, even though it was exactly. wrong, even though he was the adult, even though he held the power, even though I was 14, all of these things, it's, you still yeah, let that I out for think, years. Yeah. I didn't think anything was wrong or harmful. I would mm-hmm. say, I didn't think anything was harmful mm-hmm. in the relationship. So he was twice my age right? He was in his thirties. He was married and had two children. So that part of it, I felt guilty about, you know, I was raised in a religious home. And so, um, I felt that adultery part of it was wrong. Um, but it was also the seventies and, um, you know, he told me that our love was so unique and something so special and that love was good. And, it didn't matter what other people thought, um, should they ever know, which, you know, he swore me to secrecy, right? Mm-hmm. So this was our secret. And I didn't really have anybody else I would have wanted to tell or felt I could tell. Mm-hmm. Certainly not anybody in my family. Mm-hmm. And as I uh, entered the like ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, I had some very close girlfriends but I didn't tell them either. Um, I thought they might feel jealous because they were all in his classes too. Um, mm-hmm. and I just felt um, bound to mm-hmm. secrecy because he yeah. stressed that so much. Right. And because the sexual abuse was never physically violent, you know, like you said, it was wrapped in this message of love and the tension that you got, you know, later you recognize how this actually plays out in your in your future relationships yeah um but it took me a long time to get there to get Mm -hmm. to that understanding Mm -hmm. so my relationship with him ended when uh I graduated from high school Mm -hmm. and then I went to college and found myself drawn towards older men Mm -hmm. um And even after college, the relationships that I was in, and I was always in a relationship with somebody, um, I, I didn't, I didn't feel like I really knew what love was. I certainly didn't know what being in love felt like. I just was confused. I was confused about love. I was confused about sex. I was confused about you know, what are you supposed to feel, you know, in a, in a sexual relationship, you know, to me, it was like a transaction, you know, it was like, okay, if you'll pay attention to me, we'll, we'll have a sexual relationship, you know, so it was like, you do this, I'll do that. And I really didn't know, had no idea what it could feel like to have that kind of intimacy and have it be about love like real, honest, open love. I didn't feel open or honest about anything. And it showed up in my relationships as a young adult. Mm -hmm. Um, I got feedback that I wasn't really present in a relationship, like they couldn't find me. Um, They couldn't tell who I was or what I really wanted. Or, you know, I just wasn't, I didn't have access to, the full range of my emotions. I was kind of like half a person. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I see that to be very common for those of us who have survived sexual trauma where, you know, this dissociation is the first thing that comes to mind, but it is like what you have told in this amazing book, a lifespan pattern of these kinds of relationships. Um, You know, like you mentioned, like older men, you know, always being in multiple relationships at once, compartmentalizing relationships, you know, the safe relationships you can't be present for, but the scandalous ones you can be, you know, relationships that won't go anywhere. And you called it in your book familiar. You called it a constant sense of validation, these kinds of things. And you called it another legacy from Mark, who was the eighth grade teacher. 
I just right. found it to be so common, but something so hard to pinpoint, but it really does play out in so many of our lives as we're walking this healing journey. And, um, I just wondered, like, what did you really mean when you then said it was that 14 year old girl that was running your life? Yeah. Yeah. So I had pushed down all of my feelings about my teacher. I was so confused. Mm -hmm. It ended kind of badly. Um, kind of abruptly, it took a lot for me to finally say to him, I just can't do this anymore. And he didn't understand. And at first he was mm, kind of perplexed and kind of like cajoling me. Well, you know, just give it more time. And, And then he got angry and then he stopped. You know, I kind of wanted to be friends with him. I wanted to end the sexual part of it. I never liked it. Um, I just wanted to get out from under the whole thing. It was, it felt oppressive to me and I couldn't, I was, I don't know, I was too young to understand why it felt oppressive, but it did. Um, so anyway, it, and it ended kind of badly. Um, I will go on to say that he then, um, I know that he then slept with other, um, girls in my, in my high school, like right away. Yeah, your friends. And even even. then, yeah. And with that, I felt I'm just going to push it all down, like all of it. None of it made any sense to me. Um, And so I did that. And yeah, I compartmentalized it. I shut the door on it. And I thought for many, many years, it's just what it was, you know, Mm -hmm. this thing that happened. And I didn't think about it very much. So it just went right into my unconscious. Right. And when we push these things, trauma into our unconscious, it just lives there. It lives in our body. Mm-hmm. It lives in our nervous system. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was running my life because I was afraid to get close to anybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. There are lots of things about intimate relationships that I didn't like or didn't want, you know, and I didn't know why. Mm-hmm. So I really thought that there was something really wrong with me, like wrong with me. Like I felt defective, deficient mm-hmm. in the whole area of relating to other people, particularly men, but also friends. You know, I had friends gradually kind of over time and kindly give me feedback that, you know, I, I'm not sure, you know, what you feel about me. Like, are we friends? And like they also couldn't, like I felt distant to them. Um, so yeah, it impacted everything. And I was also really kind of shy. I was a shy child. Mm-hmm. And um, just that threat of being uncomfortable in my own skin, you know, continued on, you know, uh, into my adult life and relationships. And again, I had no idea why. Um and then it was my marriage, my my second marriage. My first marriage lasted a couple of years. Um, but my second marriage, um, I married this really wonderful, kind, nurturing guy. And I think I was a little mm, confusing even to other men and to him because on the surface, I appeared really you know, kind of outgoing and kind of fun loving. And, you know, I think that's who he thought he was marrying to some degree, someone who had that like spirit, you know, Mm -hmm. but then once we got married, um, he felt like, wow, where'd you go? (laughs) Like, where, where, where is she? Mm -hmm. And, you know, kept like out of his own confusion, kind of like knocking on my door saying, wait, you know, come on out, you know, come back. And I felt that as pressure. And anyway, it sent us, you know, into this dynamic in our marriage that was just really hard. You know, I felt he was chasing me and he felt he had to chase me. Like, Mm -hmm. where are you? Yeah. And you're like, don't chase me. (laughs) Don't chase me. Right. So we got stuck in this kind of spiral, you know, this kind of dynamic. And again, 
I just felt like something is really wrong with me. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that feeling right there is so often what sends us as survivors, you know, into therapy. It's what sends us into being curious enough about our past of where did this come from? Right. Where did this come from? Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like that's kind of what, what it was for you where healing began when you were, you know, looking at all of this over a lifespan and you wanted to go backward. You wanted to look back and sort of excavate your formative years. So what do you think, what has helped you with that the most? I mean, you've, you definitely went through a lot of therapy. You had a great therapist, you know, you've, you, um, talk a lot about your spirituality growing up in a conservative Christian home, being open to different types of faith. The, the conservative Christian was somewhat traumatizing for you. Um, then the Buddhist meditations, the compassion that you found within that, I felt like that was really cool to hear you talk about. So what do you feel like, you know, when you look back and you're thinking about how you felt that super low self-esteem, low self-worth, um, even feeling triggered in some ways, what was it that really propelled you and then helped you deal with those feelings? Yeah. Mm. You know, I think I might have continued on in my state of ignorance. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I mean that in a unaware, uh, just, you know, like ignorance is bliss kind of thing. Well, people who experience trauma, you know, like we were saying, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of them just goes unconscious, sure. you know? Um, and so well, that's what too I mean. Scary. By- it might feel too scary to look back. It might feel too, yeah. too much. Like, I don't know if I can really handle this, but I also can't handle this. <laughs> so right. it, it takes a lot of courage yeah. to go backwards. Yeah. Uh, so I was miserable. You know, our marriage was in a miserable, you know, kind of a state of confusion. Um, so I might have just continued along that path of confusion and, and misery if it hadn't been for something that happened, uh, an event happened mm-hmm. that to me really launched me into awareness of okay. what actually happened to me back then. Yeah. Um, that was, I, uh, was taking a training program. Uh, we were watching videos, like little vignettes that talk about different types of abuse that can happen. Um, not just child abuse, but elder abuse and, you know, different things. So one of these uh, videos was this vignette of an older man, he happened to be a priest, um, who was uh, counseling or befriending a parishioner who was a young boy, teenage boy, who had just lost his father. And so went to his priest for, you know, just help, you know, someone to talk to. And it showed this priest, you know, being really kind and really listening well. And the boy felt really safe with him. And bit by bit, you know, we began to see this grooming process where, you know, he shared some beers with him and showed him some movies about sex and like it got you know crept into this um mm-hmm. you you the viewer knew you know yeah I right. could sense and I just felt it in my body like in mm-hmm. my gut for the mm-hmm. first time I saw it on that screen what had happened to me mm-hmm. and I made that connection in that moment because yeah. I felt it in my gut, you know, it was a remarkable experience. In fact, I finished watching that movie and I had to get up and leave the room and, you know, go into the ladies room and pace around in some circles. Like my whole body was humming wow. with the realization in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so what that boy mm-hmm. was going through was what I recognized, what I had gone through. Right. And they were calling that abuse. And I had never viewed 
my relationship with my 30 something year old teacher, you know, as abusive to me. Right. So that was the moment that kind of opened my eyes and it was like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, like yeah. maybe. <laughs> yes. This and how many years some... later was this for from 14 until how old were you? I was in my mid forties. Yeah. So it was a 30 years until yeah. you got your me too mo- moment. Yeah. Until that moment. And then I, you know, I went home and I told my husband about it and he immediately understood it. Like he was like, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, cause all, you know, when I first met him and we started to go out, I told him about this relationship with my teacher and he was like, wow, that was not okay. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was like, yeah, it was nothing. It was, you know, it was just, it was just what happened, you know? Yeah, and he was like, thing. no, that really yeah. wasn't okay. But he couldn't convince me. And, you know, we just went on. Mm-hmm. So when I came home and told him, you know, what I had experienced, he was like, fine. Like, yes, you know, yes. Yeah. You know, this yeah. is great. So anyway, that's what made me go into therapy. Um, and I wanted, I wanted to remember more of my past because I had shut so much of it down you know I had I had snapshots I had some very clear snapshots of my relationship with him and the things we did together along the way but they were missing pieces and I wanted to be able to tap into that so I wanted to work with someone who who knew how to do that who knew how to work with trauma Mm -hmm. uh, and abuse Um, and so I did, I was, I was so fortunate. I found this most remarkable therapist, um, and we worked together for at least 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so that was, that was like the key process that really opened my eyes and really rewired, you know, my nervous system that had been you know, just, just run by fear, you know, mm-hmm. as an adult. Yeah. Well, so that was a I... big component. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think of the power, first of all, of, you know, hearing stories, you know, it took someone else's story, whether it was real or fake on that screen to bring your story into the real light for you yes. to identify it as abuse and not some teenage romance right right which will be the same that your story does for somebody else you know someone will read this book light in bandaged places and say oh gosh that was what happened to me too and she's right it wasn't just that thing that happened that was weird like that was wrong and to be able to piece that together and seek help and therapy and and begin to uncover some of that pain and where to make the connections between current effects of abuse and what happened, I think is really important. Okay, I just wanted to pause a moment to tell you about this community called Unleash that we keep referring to. If it sounds like a secret club, that's because it is but if you're a survivor of childhood sexual abuse or sexual abuse or sexual trauma of any kind you are personally invited unleash is an eight-week e-course it features film storytelling personal contemplation exercises and my favorite part a safe online space where we meet virtually in small support group settings led by myself and other trauma experts where we openly discuss this lifelong journey of healing from sexual abuse. It's kind of like a book club, but like a really precious one, (laughs) a place where questions are welcome and your story, as much as you feel comfortable sharing, is safe. Maybe you've experienced some healing, but you long to be unleashed. I hope you'll consider joining us. Each group is limited to eight survivors. So head over to our registration page now and grab a seat. The website is imonevoice.org slash unleash. And by the way, if you aren't interested in the support group part, but you want to just work through the videos and the ebook content at your own pace, we have that option too. It's right there on the website as well. 
This road of healing can feel pretty long, but we don't have to walk it alone. That's why we're here. And I hope you'll join us at one of our upcoming groups. More info at IamOneVoice.org slash Unleash. You wrote in your book something I really loved. You wrote, I cannot rewrite my inner child's history, but I can provide the care, attention, parenting, love, and safety net she didn't have back then. Because she lives in me still, my adult self can offer her all those things so she no longer has to run my life out of her fear and isolation. That's just really beautiful and so powerful. And I wonder, even today, Liz, like, how do you care for your inner child? What are, you know, some practical tools? Let's say someone's listening today and they're they're just like, yes, like, I want to be able to do that for my inner child too. Like, I think that's a big topic lately for survivors working on inner child healing. I think it's a really important, um, but for those who don't know where to begin, what might be some first steps? Yeah, well, I was, um really introduced in therapy to the idea of, you know, our inner child. Um, and it took, it took sessions, you know, in, in her office where she helped me connect to sadness for what happened to me, you know, to really like, um, like stir, you know, my heart that had been kind of frozen, mm-hmm. actually, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it it began with opening my heart. And one way she helped me, um, well, I will say one thing that happened to me that served to open my heart independent of therapy was I became a parent, I became a mother. (laughs) And what was for me profound about that experience that I didn't expect until it just was there was the degree of unconditional love I felt for my children, you know? Yeah, Um, I do. You know, I I just, I had never experienced or even imagined Mm -hmm. how love could feel like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that really, I would say, um, in and of itself, opened my heart. And so in therapy, to kind of help me um, understand that my young child also needs that kind of love, you know, so I could tap into what I now was able to access, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of my own capacity for gentleness and caring and tenderness and love toward yeah. a child, because I could do it towards my actual children, yeah. um, that I could apply that towards, you know, my inner child, like that little mm-hmm. girl who got, who was hurt, you know, who was mm-hmm. hurt, whose innocence and trust was betrayed. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was really helpful to be able to connect those dots and to just open the the floodgates, you know, for that kind of love to move, you know, in me, directed towards myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was really helpful. Um, I think that You know, spirituality has been a theme throughout my whole life, Um, even though growing up, I I grew up in a household. My father was a minister Mm -hmm. um, in a conservative uh, branch of the Lutheran church, Um, and it was fairly dogmatic. And because I was a pastor's kid, you know, I did all the right things, you know, in the church, you know, I was an acolyte and I sang in the choir, even though I couldn't carry a tune and was a teacher's helper and I got confirmed and, you know, all of those things. Um, But as I became a teenager and just developed some of my questions, you know, like, you know, like, 
why it, should it be the case that if a person never hears about Jesus Christ, they go to hell, right? Which was a message that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't get a, a good answer to that. You know, what I got was just go home and pray, you know, have a better faith, you know? So it was a little bit dismissed, you know? And I was just a kid who was, who really wanted answers and cared about the truth and cared about understanding life and wanted to have a relationship with God that was not punitive. I felt it was punitive. And so that caused me to just sort of turn my back on Christianity. And I felt all of Christianity is like this. This is all I knew. This is what I grew up with. Um, So in college, I found myself drawn towards more Eastern traditions. Um, And, you know, through my adult years as well, um, in college, I learned to meditate uh, in a Zen Buddhist style because I studied martial arts and my my martial arts teacher was a Japanese uh, Zen Buddhist. Um, so this thread of wanting to have a relationship with the transcendent, with something bigger than myself, you know, ran through my whole life. And I didn't really know where to find it or, or like I couldn't find a, a community or a tradition that really felt that I felt comfortable in. So I was a seeker um, all my life, really. And through it all, again, I felt like there, you know, I wanted to have this relationship. I believed that there was a loving, a loving quality, you know, in the universe, in a God of some sort. Mm-hmm. So when I finally kind of circled back to Buddhism, um I finally felt, and maybe I was ready to finally feel, or maybe it was just uh, presented in a way that um, I resonated with, but I felt like, okay, this is it. This, I feel, this I feel is my home, Mm. you know? And I think it's because the way I was introduced or presented with Buddhism uh, through teachers that studied in the East, but were Westerners. And so there was a way I felt it was brought to me. I mean, I am a, I am a Western, I'm an American. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was brought to me in a way that was accessible. And um, it really spoke to me. And in particular, it was the qualities in Buddhism of, there are two things in particular that really worked for me. One of them was um, the invitational quality of Buddhism. It's like, there's no dogma here. Here are some teachings. Try them out for yourself. Check them out. Does it work with for you or does it not? Like, take what works and, you know, don't worry about the rest. You don't have to squeeze yourself into somebody else's, mm-hmm. you know, way of thinking. So I love that. That worked for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, Buddhism emphasizes compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you hear the Dalai Lama talk, you know, he talks, you know, what it, someone asks him, what is your religion? And he says, my religion is kindness. Um, and so that resonated with me. That felt right for me. It, it resonated with learning to reparent my inner child, you know, to have that yeah. kind of kindness and compassion. And then the other thing that really spoke to me and speaks to me about Buddhism is, and this is how it's similar to some kinds of therapy, is that it encourages you to look at what's hard, mm-hmm. you know, to look into the truth of what is, um, even when it's hard. Yeah. So, and it's done with compassion mm-hmm. and gentleness. Right. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about looking deeply into, you know, our emotions, even our difficult ones. Look deeply into our anger. Like, what is that? Can we understand that? And can we not be afraid of it? But can we 
And literally, you know, he talks about, you know, hold your fear, hold your sadness, hold your anger like you would a young child. Mm. Like this mm. is your child that needs to be loved. So you can see how that resonated with, you know, my years of, of therapy and how that changed me. And so I felt, well, okay, here is a, here's a system of philosophy, a psychology, you know, Buddhism just speaks to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So that has been very healing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really insightful and soothing, you know, the idea of like breathing through a struggle or sitting with your pain, um, and having compassion over what feelings are coming up for you right now. Uh, And that they're Mm -hmm. valid. Mm -hmm. They're valid. We don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to, you know, um, judge Mm -hmm. these various feelings that we all have as human beings. It's funny. One of the questions I still had for you, I think, feel like you kind of just answered, um, the way at towards the end of the book where you met up with some of your friends from growing up and you all started unpacking this whole situation with this teacher, their relationship, they talked about your relationship. And I found myself really angry with them. I did not like how they continued to say he loved you. He didn't mean to hurt you. And I just kept thinking, why is she like, okay with the way they're talking to her about this? And I feel like the way that you just shared about your healing and your spiritual practice is the answer to that question, because you were able to sit knowing you were, you experienced something separate from them. You were allowing them to have their feelings and their feelings and their reaction did not affect at all the healing that had been done inside of you am i right hundred percent yes yes you got it um you know when we were having those conversations me and my friends from back then you know and they were expressing that point of view you know oh it was just the times you know he was coming of age he didn't mean anything you know harmful (laughs) you know i i disagree yeah you know I, I knew you disagreed, but you were able to hear them out and not yeah. like literally cut them. <laughs> like, how did you yes. not throw some punches? Like, I'm just like, what? <laughs> I need to, their numbers, like they need to get this right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I let them know I disagreed, yeah. you know, um, and you're right. It's, they had their experience and they have lived their lives and they are entitled to their, you know, point of view about it they're entitled certainly to their point of view about their own experience they're entitled to their point of view about my experience mm-hmm. um and you know to be fair on one hand they say yeah what he did was definitely wrong you know but <laughs> um so yeah i you know it's i love these friends um i still value our friendship um in fact i saw them a couple weeks ago um so yeah, I can let them, I can let them hold it how they want to hold it. It doesn't take anything away from me. Wow. I mean, that to me is such a pure symbol of what healing looks like. It's really beautiful to be honest, Liz. I love that. Um, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I did want to circle back to well, you talked about how being a mother, becoming a mother was a powerful factor in your healing. Um, there was one line in your book that I really loved. She's, you said, being a mother woke me up. Mm-hmm. And so I lead um, survivor support groups and like healing cohorts. And last week we met and I asked the question. So we do a lot of like, you know, journal prompts. And then we kind of just unpack how we're feeling about different parts of our healing journey. And last week I asked our group, um, where do you see light? Like if you looked at your healing journey, the whole picture of it, like a map, where do you see the light coming in? And everyone had a different answer, but one woman said, I see the light coming in when I had my sons. 
and I became a mother. And it just reminded me so much of that when I read what you wrote, being being a mother woke me up. And I think that that's a really common thing for many of us. I loved how you talked about becoming a mother. Um, but here's the shift for me. When you started talking about when your son went to college and you had to drop him off, I started sobbing because so my oldest is a freshman in high school and I'm, and I resonate so much with what you're saying about it being healing about the, the parenting, the reparenting of your inner child, like learning how you parent them, you know, it really does become a big part of your identity. And it's so consuming of me right now in my heart. Like I can't even think about that day. Like I literally cry if I think about it and then I'm reading how you did. And it's just like, that's exactly how I'm going to feel. I just need you to tell me what to do so that it's not so hard. Oh, <laughs> like, tell my me goodness. now, I have four years. <laughs> my goodness. Well, you know, how you feel, how I feel, many mothers feel about their children, it's beautiful, mm-hmm. right? It's beautiful. And we should, I feel, like savor that. Mm-hmm. Right. And yes, it's, it has, it's hard when they leave. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I, it, it, on one hand, it kind of, you know, breaks my heart, you know, even when I, when I remember that scene of, you know, leaving him at college and he was so unhappy and uncertain and, mm-hmm. you know, just re, re thinking about it, you know, stirs those same feelings. Um, and I have, I've been graced with good relationships with my adult children. I mean, that son that I wrote about is now in his thirties. Um, and I just saw him a couple weeks ago. Mm. Um, and I, I just, we have a, a beautiful relationship. Mm. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. So, you know, my advice is just savor it. And when it hurts, it's going to hurt, you know, and that's, that's part of feeling that kind of love. Mm, Right. Right. So, you know, keep breathing, just keep breathing through (laughs) it, you know, have somebody you can lay your head on and, (laughs) you know, who Mm -hmm. can comfort you and, you know, let you feel it Mm. because it's their job. It's our kid's job to grow up. Yeah. And become their own people. Mm-hmm. And it can be really hard to watch them do that because it's, you know, it's a struggle for every human being. And as a mother, it's really hard to watch our beloved children, you know, struggle. But this is how we learn, right? This is how this is how they will learn. Mm-hmm. And this is how I learned. You know, it's it's how we do it. And <laughs> I think that my kids and, you know, I suspect your kids because of how you describe how you love them will know that you're there and your love is there unconditionally Mm -hmm. and that matters. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good reminder just how, you know, many of us were raised without that feeling. Yes. And like we're giving our children something we didn't have, which is the whole world different. And yeah, that's an exciting part of then, you know, watching them grow into adulthood without all the neglect and the, the right. emotional detachment that we had and right, it, right. it'll like feel different know. for them. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Like my kids know I am here hundred mm-hmm. percent. I may not always agree with, or even like, you know, some of the things they might choose to do, but it's still unconditional. Mm-hmm the love is still unconditional. Yeah. And that's such a message. Every time I think we love our kids that way, it's a message right back into our own system, right? That we have that unconditional love for that younger version of us that was always questioning it. Like, right. That's such a powerful part of healing. Well, you are now a meditation teacher, a Buddhist practitioner in Boston, right? Yes. Yeah. And I noticed on your website, you even do some like virtual kind of gatherings. Do you want to share a little bit about like what you're doing now and maybe even invite some of our listeners to join if that's something that they would be welcome to? Yes, absolutely. 
Um, so I was, my healing journey, you know, has transformed me so much. And mm, Buddhist teachings were such a key part of that, that I felt like, and feel like every moment that I want to somehow make available these opportunities to other people, mm -hmm. whether they've experienced trauma or not. I mean, you know, being human is difficult for everybody. Um, you know, it's got the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. Mm -hmm. um, so I was moved to want to do what I could to bring these teachings to other people. And so I got trained as a mindfulness meditation teacher. And um, I teach different groups. Uh, I teach some groups at a uh, retirement community. Mm. And I love these people. You know, they're so open, facing a lot of challenges, you know, as people, you know, in the older years do. Um, but so open and so lovely. Um, you know, there, I like that demographic. Um, I also teach um, groups, you know, that where students just come to me because they've heard of me, you know, so privately. Um, I have taught over the years um, uh, multi-week classes. Mm -hmm. um, I've taught, you know, two or three hour long workshops on different topics. So in, you know, different formats, of course, during the pandemic, everything was online. Um, and now I teach, you know, in person. Uh, whenever possible. So, um, yeah, I, I am planning to offer a course uh, this fall and winter, specifically uh, focused on how these teachings can be helpful for those who have experienced trauma. Mm. So it's really linking the teachings to trauma specifically. Yeah. Um, one of them is a four-hour a half day in-person workshop in the Boston area. Mm -hmm. And then I'm offering the same course in a different format that will be online. That will be four uh, weeks uh, and in an evening um, online in January. So four weeks in January. Mm -hmm. uh, again, focusing specifically on trauma mm -hmm. of any kind, not just uh, yeah. child abuse. Excellent. That's yeah. great. Well, where could um, people find all, all the information on that? Yeah, the best place is my website. Okay. Uh, has all of the classes that I'm offering there. That's lizkinchen.com. Okay. So L-I-Z-K-I-N-C-H-E-N.com. Uh, my website also has a lot of resources. It has many books mm. on mindfulness, some books on trauma, it has uh, different podcasts that particularly pertain to teaching mindfulness. So it has resources. Yeah, great. There are also some uh, audio recordings of guided meditations, some YouTube recordings of guided meditations. So anyway, lots of resources. People can go there and browse and see whatever might resonate with them. And if they are interested in taking a, a class with me, uh, I have my contact information there. Site. okay well thank you so much we'll link that too in the show notes but Liz we just really appreciate you your story just your boldness and your willingness to really unpack the details I think that's um a real gift that you've given um the details of a story you know over a lifespan it's it's something too many of us relate to, I think, but it's important to know that we're not alone. And I think that's a gift that you've really given us. Um, I guess as we depart, it just really felt important to me to ask you to share, um, you know, with anyone listening who maybe would relate to that story, like what is just something that you would want them to just hide in their heart? Well, I think, um, an overall message that I would like people to take away from reading my book is that healing is possible. Okay. Um, that, you know, we can feel so lost and confused 
Um, and that, yes, that happens. That is a part of, you know, many people's trauma journey, going through those times of, you know, being confused and maybe angry. And that it is possible to heal, to really transform, that there are, there are resources, um, external resources in the form of, you know, professionals, therapists, um, you know, I think mindfulness is a beautiful resource if it, you know, is appealing to somebody. Um, and there are also internal resources that we have within us and we always have within us, even when they were maybe obscured by our confusion or anger or lostness, you know, we have within us, you know, this, um, we have light within us mm-hmm. and it's always there. And, uh, we can call upon that and we can call upon, you know, our abilities, our experiences, you know, those, those moments of light that you referred to earlier, you know, that they are out there and there's beauty in the world and there's beauty available in relationship and connection between people. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are external and internal resources and all of it contributes to uh, the healing process. And it's really there for everybody. Mm. Yeah. So much of what you're saying is like just paying attention, just waking up to your own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's no. paying attention and it's it's remembering to be kind, you know, to be kind to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes self-compassion has a little bit of a, a difficulty for some people because in our culture, you know, often we're given the message that self-compassion is indulgent or at the worst narcissistic, you know, and it's too bad that that message is out there because it's really just the opposite is true. Mm. That self-compassion is really, um, it's the first step and it's really every step to healing. You know, in in a lot of ways, it's the best thing we can do for ourselves is, you know, allow ourselves to, um, to be who we are and to just see the, see the beauty, see the gold in, Mm -hmm. in ourselves. Mm. And that makes it easier to see the beauty and the gold in other people too. That's right. Absolutely. Wow. Thank you, Liz. This was just really special. Um, appreciate your wisdom so much. And I really want to encourage our listeners to pick up this book, Light in Bandaged Places, Healing in the Wake of Young Betrayal. Many of us read, if you're like me, self-help books constantly, nonfiction all the time. And this, though it is, it is nonfiction, it is her story. It is, it takes you to another place. I think it helps unlock your brain and your nervous system to hear a story in such a well-written way that you will certainly relate to various parts in it. So it's a real mix um, of help and healing, but also just a beautiful story and a wonderful person. Thank you, Liz. This was really fun. And well, thank just, you so much. <laughs> yeah. We're really I grateful s- for I your so time. I so appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you again for the work that you're doing Mm. in the world. It's so important. So helpful. Mm, I appreciate that. All right. Well, until next time, we'll see ya. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.